You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Um, good to see y'all. Hope you had a good Christmas and good start to the new year. Uh, back when Victoria was an older child, they started her education process, which would train her literally to become Queen of England. She didn't realize it at the time. She did not know that. And on one day, her history teacher laid out, stretched out for her a scroll that went from the very first kings of England all the way, you know, William the Conqueror, who conquered in 1066, came in all the way down. They would go through Edward I and Edward II and Edward III. They would go through, you know, the house of Plantagenet, the house of um, the Tudors had come to uh, Edward the uh, uh, Henry the Eighth, and then from Henry the Eighth, his son, who was crowned king at nine years of age, and was a devout believer. A- anyway, that's another story for another day. He ruled just for a few years, Edward the Sixth, I believe, uh, and his sister, his half sister Mary, Bloody Mary, came to the throne. Now, the majority of the people she put to death and earned the name Bloody Mary happened to be your forefathers and mine, the Anabaptists. Anyway, from her to Elizabeth I, the the daughter of Henry and Anne Boleyn, uh, she becomes queen all the way down through, uh, you know, the Stuart, James I of uh, England, who was James VI of Scotland. He becomes king all the way down, all the way down until this professor, this teacher, wound his finger all the way down to the name Victoria. And he tapped on that name, and he looked at her, and he said, my dear lady, that is you. She left that day. She went back to her room, and in her journal, in her diary, she wrote these words. I realize today I'm not just an English girl but that one day I am to be queen and I have decided to live my life differently. Now, when you come to the epistle of the Ephesians, this is exactly what the Holy Spirit is trying to do with you. He is going to trace his finger all the way down through this epistle and he is going to say, this is you. And this should make you live differently. If you've got your copy of God's Word, look with me there to Ephesians chapter 1 and uh, to the first two verses is about as far as we can go if I can get out of verse 1 today. Now what the Holy Spirit is going to show you in this is exactly what we just saw up on that screen and that is in chapter 1, 2, and 3, he's going to talk about God's devotion to you. How has God been devoted to you? And then he's going in chapter 4, 5, and 6 to talk about how we are to live in devotion back to him. So the first three chapters, I don't don't believe, I don't think, I I, I guess I've tried to look through that carefully. I don't think there's a single imperative in the first three chapters. But now beginning in chapter 4, 5, and 6, there are going to be a lot of imperatives, a lot of commands. How are we to live in this world At this time, in this point in history, how are we to live in this society 
uh, fully devoted to Jesus Christ. But before he does that, he's going to show us how devoted to us God is. Now, Paul writes this epistle. We won't go, you'll have to give me today and some of next week to kind of get all the background in that I want to give you because it's so critical to understand. Uh, Paul wrote this in about 61 AD from prison. Uh, He was in Rome in his first Roman imprisonment. I believe there are two Roman imprisonments. Uh, Everything seems to fit exactly in that way. He wrote this from Rome under house arrest, not far from the quarters of the Praetorian Guard, which were guarding him, by the way. We discover that in Philippians. He writes Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Those are the four prison epistles. Uh, You're going to later come to 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. Those are the pastoral epistles. Uh, 2 Timothy is written by Paul. It's the last letter he writes. And he writes that in his second Roman imprisonment. He will be in 67 beheaded, executed uh, at the the direction of Nero, uh, who will take his own life in the next year to keep the Praetorians from killing him. So y'all have got all of that history now. He's writing this. He's about 55 years of age. Most of people that get 55 start to think about retirement, not Paul. Uh, Paul's thinking about where is the next place I can take the gospel and plant a church. And uh, he was writing, you know, to the church telling them in Rome, he wanted to go all the way to Spain. That was as far as you could go in that day and time that he was hoping that he would get to Spain. I don't think he does. Um, uh, the, the, Spain, the Spanish think, they think he did. I don't think he did. Uh, the Roman church, the Roman Catholic church believes he got there. Uh, I don't think he made it, but that was his dream. His dream was not to retire. His dream was um, to plan another church. So that's what he's going to do. Now, Ephesians has been called the queen of uh, the New Testament. Uh, It is one of the most beloved epistles. Uh, I know men who have spent several years preaching through Ephesians. That's what everybody asks me. How long are we going to be in Ephesians? Well, Chris, who just read the text when Chris was pastoring a church uh, in Florida, took him three years. David Martin Lloyd-Jones, who followed G. Campbell Morgan at Westminster Pulpit, Um, um, Lloyd-Jones was the king's cardiologist. He was a cardiologist, and he was the king's cardiologist, and God called him to ministry. And so he went and he pastored Westminster Chapel. He started preaching Ephesians in 1954. He finished it in 1962, in nine years. I'll be 74 if I do that uh, by the time I finish this book. So don't ask me how long it's going to (laughs) take. I honestly don't know. Lloyd-Jones went nine years. Chris went three years. I may shoot for 10. I don't know how long we'll be in Ephesians. Every sentence, every clause, every verb is just pregnant with meaning in this text. It is an incredible, incredible uh, epistle. And what he is saying in this, and what I want you to see this morning is that God's deep devotion for us can be seen in God's blessings to us. If you want to know how God is 
how devoted to you God really is. Just look at his blessings to you in life. All of us, surely over the new year, we've stopped at least briefly sometime and thought about all the blessings that have been ours in the last year, all the ways God has blessed us in our lives, and uh, all of those blessings come from one place. And let me tell you, it ain't Washington, D.C. It's from God. Every good and every perfect gift comes down from the, what does James say? From the Father of what? Lights. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes to us by God. That's the blessing of God. So now let me begin, if I can now, with the first thing that I want you to see. And the first thing I want you to see is the messenger of God's blessing. There is a messenger that brings to the church uh, the fact that God is blessing them. And his name is Paul. You see it right there? Paul, just stop with that for a moment. That's how we know him. About three or four times in the book of Acts, we're introduced to him as Saul. We see him for the first time on the road to Damascus, and his name is Saul. He was named after the most egotistical, arrogant, disobedient, hard-headed, know-it-all of the Old Testament, Saul, King Saul. He knew everything. You couldn't tell him anything. That's what the prophet Samuel understood about him. God repented. God relented that he had made Saul king of these people that were the Hebrews, that was Israel. And Saul now in the New Testament, we know him as Paul, was named after him. So he is named after the original Mr. Big. He is Mr. Biggie. That's the way he sees himself. And he comes in this, and listen, let me tell you, he sees himself as Mr. Big, but he's going to become Mr. Little because in that first missionary journey, his name is going to be switched from Saul to Paul, and Paul means small or little. And he comes, I think, to the understanding that until I become humbled before God, none of the power of God will be able to flow through me. So Paul goes from the original Mr. Biggie all the way down to Mr. Small. Now, he states here, if you're looking at this, so that's Paul. That's who this is. He is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, take that of to be a genitive of possession. He is possessed by Jesus Christ. He is an apostle of Jesus Christ, which means he can't be an apostle of anybody else. He is the possession of the Christ Jesus, an apostle one that is sent. Now, that's how he describes himself. Now, it's interesting because Paul could have started out and he could have said, hey, I am Paul. I was the star student of Gamaliel. I sat at the feet of the greatest rabbi of the day in Israel, in Jerusalem. Uh, That's who I'm. I was his student uh, helper. I was his star pupil. He doesn't begin that way. He could have started by saying, I was the fair-haired Pharisee of all the 6,000 Pharisees in Israel. He was a Pharisee, but he was, uh, and he was, he was the Pharisee of all the Pharisees, but he doesn't tell that. 
what never came together were the Pharisees and the Sadducees, except in their opposition to Jesus Christ. And yet the Sadducees opened the door for membership to Paul, even though he was a Pharisee. Now see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees believed entirely different things. The Pharisees believed in angels. The Sadducees did not. The Pharisees believed in resurrection. The Sadducees did not. So you see what this is. It's, it's highly unusual. Um, it may not have ever happened before in ancient Israel, but the Sadducees opened their door for Paul to be a member. That's how highly thought of Paul was. He could have started that off that way. Listen, I'm the only Pharisee to ever be asked to serve with the Sadducees, who, were, who happened to be the leading political religious body in Israel. The only people they had to appeal to was Rome, the Sadducees. He could have started off like that. He could have started off by saying, hey, I am a Roman citizen by birth which carried tremendous weight in that day and time. It was uh, something that was noteworthy of people. You just were not born a Roman citizen, especially when you were not born in Rome itself. He doesn't start that way at all. There is a humility here. He says, I am an apostle of, Jesus, uh, of Christ Jesus. I am owned by him. Now look at this, by, dia in the Greek, through it's agency, by the agency of the will of God. In other words, I didn't choose this. This isn't something I cooked up on my, uh, on my own. I didn't choose to go in the ministry. I didn't decide, you know, I don't know if I can do anything else, so I'll just become a preacher. I never wanted to be a preacher. It was the last thing on my list. God has a great sense of humor, does he not? And yet he comes and he says, you need to understand, I am owned by Christ Jesus, and that is through the will of an almighty sovereign God. Now, he comes and he presents himself in that way, and it all comes out of his salvation experience. You remember, he was on the road to Damascus, and the resurrected Christ uh, arrested him, and he blinded him. And he fell to the ground, and for the next three days he was blind. He could not see. He had what was like scales on his eyes. God sent him to the house of Ananias in Damascus. And uh, there in that house, Ananias prays for him. And as Ananias prays for him, it says these scales fell from his eyes. The Greek word there, describe, they were peeled back from his eyes. It's like you peel an orange or the way you would peel a, a, a banana. They, the, the Lord, while Ananias was praying for him, God uh, through Christ was evidently peeling these things back off of his eyes so that when he got up off of his knees, he saw life in a way he had never seen it before. Just sit there. Well, that's Paul. And Paul is going to say that all of that is by the grace of God, his salvation, and now his preaching. Let me get you to put your finger right there. Look over to chapter 3 of Ephesians. I'm going to show you what I spent two weeks every morning dealing with as I was going through this little epistle at about 5.30 every morning. When we were off on our sabbatical and I was on that ship, uh, I got up every morning around uh, 5, 5.30, and I went up, and I got a cup of coffee, 
Uh, it's impossible to study the Word of God without coffee. And so those of you who don't like it, you need to check your salvation. Um, I would sit with a cup of coffee by myself, and I got so into this section. I want to just read it to you. I'm going to come back to it, but I'm, 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 doing a, I'm doing a sermon out of this to preach at pastor's conferences when I'm invited to them. I want you to listen to what he says, beginning in verse 7. He says, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Now, he's talking about his salvation, but then he's talking about his call to preach, which was given to me according to the working of his power to me, the very, the very least of all the saints. You see that little clause right there? To me, this grace was given, but in the middle of that, he puts this little clause to the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for the ages has been hidden in God who created all things. Now, let me just stop right there with that. What Paul is saying is this, to get them to understand why God sends a messenger of blessing, understand that Paul is saying a lot of preachers stand and preach to a congregation looking down their noses. Now, I can talk about this because I are one. A lot of pastors will stand and preach grace down to their people. Feeling as if I have a special dispensation of grace. I don't need as much of it as you do. I'm going to tell you, for one solid week of those two weeks, I poured over this the first thing every morning because this so captured my heart and my soul was to hear Paul say, but I am the least of the saints. Now, I'm going to come to saints in a moment, so don't get hung up there just now. I'm the least of the saints. I'm the least of all the saints not just in Ephesus, but everywhere. I'm the least of them. In other words, I need as a pastor as much grace as you do to be saved. But then I need more. Because on top of that, he says, it took a special dispensation of grace to get me to be a preacher of grace. Any pastor who is honest with himself, knows that he has no business being in this place. But it's only by the grace of God. And to double dip that grace, not just to get saved, but grace to stand and preach the word of grace to the people of God. So the first thing you come to is Paul, right there, who is the messenger of God's blessing. I pray in my life that I'm the messenger of God's blessing to this congregation. If I'm not, I have really missed what God's called me to do. Okay? Now, that's the first thing I want you to see. The second thing I want you to see are the saints who are blessed. He comes now and he says in, in, in the middle of verse 1, to the saints. Now, when he says that, we, we too often put a 21st century concept on that. He is not speaking to an elite group of people in the fellowship. He's not even speaking to an individual person. He is speaking to all the people of the church there in Ephesus. It's me saying to all of you, 
You are all the saints of God. And by the way, let me, let me tell you, I don't know that I understand it completely, but I'm, I'm tracking this down. In the New Testament, I can't find but one place where there is a hint that this might be applied to an individual. I really think it's not, but I've got to do a little more study. Every time you see the word saint, agios in the Greek, agios, saint, it is always to the congregation. In the Old Testament, it's the same way. Uh, there is no one in the Old Testament called saint. It is that Israel is all called the saints of God, the children of God. It was applied to the nation. It is now applied to the church. Peter talks about that in 1 Peter chapter 2 when he says you are you're a nation of priests. You're a holy nation. You are a priesthood, a holy priesthood. You are the nation that is holy. We are the saints of God. And I know that sounds odd to us because we think that a saint is somebody who died and according to the church had to perform at least two miracles that have been verified. Um, saints are not dead people. Saints are you, the living. If y'all say amen, and I know that you're living out there. Amen. Amen. He's speaking to us. He's speaking to the whole congregation, not to any individual person, not to any special little group somewhere. He has called us saints. Now look at this. Hagias is the word. It means holy. It's the word holy. We are called to be holy. He is saying you are the holy ones. Now, how in the world have we become holy? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow. No other fountain I know. Nothing but? There you go. I'm old school, and I believe in the blood of Jesus. And that's what he's saying right here. Who does that? Only God. Only God can do that. Nobody else can do that for you. You can't do that for yourself. Now, I want you to hold on to this because I'm, I'm going somewhere with it. He says to the saints who are at Ephesus, but who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, let me point out something before I get to this word faithful here and what's going on with it. He says you are at Ephesus, but you are in Christ. Let me tell you, we are at Birmingham or Pelham or Hoover or Vestavia or Helena. We are at Birmingham, but folks, we are in Christ Jesus. That's good. Just hold on to that. Put that and tuck that away in your heart. That no matter where you are, you may be at a place, but you are in Christ Jesus. We are the people. Now he says, you who are faithful in what? What's the sphere that they are faithful in? In Christ Jesus. Now the word there, faithful, can either be a passive or it can be a present tense. If it is active, the present tense or active tense, it means they are having faith. They're in the process of having this faith. In who? Christ Jesus. If it is passive, it is that they have 
been faithful. Now, John R. W. Stott says it's both. Take it that way. Take it as active. Take it as uh, uh, passive. They are people who are having faith, who have been faithful. I think that's exactly right. Now, I want you to get this. I want you. I, I need for you because now, listen, I'm doing more teaching today than I am preaching. Next week's going to be the same. You see verse 3? In verse 3, you start in verse 3, and do you know where the sentence ends? Verse 14. It's the longest sentence in the entire Bible. Paul would have flunked my English teacher. But he gets an A-plus in theology. Now, I'm going to come back to that next week because in verse 4, you're going to hit on something that everybody here is just dying for me to get to, and that is election. What do I do with this thing about election? And you come down in verse 4, and he's going to say, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And you say, do you believe that? Well, it's in the Bible. How can I not believe it? I, I don't know what else to do, but I'll share with you next week. You believe in election. I believe in election. But listen, when it comes to me, I'm going to define it the way I understand it. So we'll come to that next week. But now, look at it. Did God, I'll answer your question. Did God know in eternity past that you would be saved? Oh, for crying out loud, he knows everything. Okay, just so you know. Now, you can breathe easy. Your pastor believes that. Um, but he comes here and he says, faithful. Saints, how did I get to be a saint? By the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, that was all God. Uh, am I being faithful in Christ Jesus? How is that happening? Because I am being obedient to God. You have to watch now that in Scripture you see things, and if you listen to my mornings with Mac, I'm going through Ruth right now. I'm going to give you an, it, it, tomorrow morning and next Monday morning, I'm going to give, I'm going to talk about interpretation, and I'm going to talk about looking at it from a human perspective and a divine perspective. That's the way we look at Scripture. We look at Scripture. Who is it that forgave your sins and made you holy? Who saved you? Who redeemed you? God. Do you have a decision to make? You better believe you do. You got a decision. You can't go through this life thinking, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm saved, I'm elect, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved, and you never make a decision for Jesus Christ. Uh, you're, you're in for a real shock when you stand before uh, him one day. So you have got two things that are happening here. You've got God doing what only God can do because he's the only one that can save me, redeem me, clean me, make me holy, and then I have got to be faithful uh, to Jesus Christ. And you say, now that's the struggle right there. How am I faithful? How do I live out a life of faithfulness to the Lord? And they're doing it in the city of Ephesus. Now, I've had the privilege to go to the city of Ephesus probably about eight, nine times, I suppose. It is, uh, in, in years gone by, Dr. Ryrie, Dr. Charles Ryrie, who taught theology at Dallas Theological Seminary, I was his pastor uh, for seven years. And during that seven years, we became close friends, and he would travel with me. And I, I remember back my first trip into Ephesus uh, with Dr. Ryrie, we were walking down. Just to give you an idea, you're going to drive out of here on asphalt, on tar, in rock. 
If you lived in the city of Ephesus, you walked or rode down a road made out of marble. The whole city was marble. The roads were marble. When Cleopatra and Mark Anthony showed up to Ephesus, they went out and they washed the marble streets with wine. This place was full of money. This place was full of wealth. And uh, he said to me, you're walking in the midst of the greatest ruins of the ancient world. It is a massive city. If you've been there, just what they've uncovered and put back up, there's a mile, minimal mile, from the back gate of Ephesus all the way down to the library of Celsus. And then you turn and you head down toward the port and the great Colosseum that is there. Well, or amphitheater that is there. He says you are at Ephesus. But now let me tell you something about the city of Ephesus in Paul's day. It was uh, a Roman capital. It was a Roman colony, a Roman city, which gave it special perks. And it basically was the, the capital of Asia Minor. Uh, you come there, and it was also um, the very basis of the cult in the ancient world of Diana, or, or Artemis, as uh, she was called. Uh, you come there, and you come to one of the greatest banks in the ancient world. It was the Chase Manhattan of Paul's day. Everybody heard of the bank in Ephesus. All of Rome would collect all over Asia Minor. Its tribute would come to Ephesus there at the port, would deposit all of that into the bank at Ephesus until they could load it on ships and take it on to Rome. Uh, it was a city that was uh, the center of the worship of, um, of Caesar it was also a city that lived under an incredibly dark cloud of, uh, of the occult and magic. You know, I just mentioned the, the library. We're going to read about burning Bibles. Uh, not, I'm sorry, burning books there at Ephesus. You'll read that out of, the, out of the book of Acts. You know what they were burning? They were burning books of magic. They were produced. Uh, books on the occult were produced massively produced in Ephesus. They bring them out. and You won't believe the figure on the number of books. I'll give you that one day on these books that were burned there from black magic. But I want you to, I want you to understand they brought those out. They burned those things there. It was that city that lived under the occult. And they promoted it all over the Roman world. So that was the world they grew up in. That was the world they worship in. That was the world that they knew, and they knew that they were a very small minority in this majority of all of this paganism, all of this pluralism in a culture that was anything but Christian. And yet Paul's going to come, and in this, he is going to say that we are to be devoted to God because God has been devoted to us in the midst of this place where you have this temple that is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And yet he's going to talk about Jesus Christ is our foundation in a city that is there and it is uh, world famous for its bank. He's going to talk about the riches that are ours in Jesus Christ. 
In, in a city that is under the darkness of the occult, he is going to come and say, listen to this in chapter 1, verse 21, for above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is name, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, all of this is talking about powers of darkness, rulers, authorities, powers, dominions, all of these things. He put all these things in subjection under his feet, that's Christ, and gave him as head of all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He is going to counter everything that they find and live under in the city of Ephesus, and he's going to say, God's got something better than that. Same is true for us, folks. Everything that this world offers, God has got something better for us than what the world has. We might be outnumbered, which we are. Uh, we might live in the shadow of all of this stuff, but let me tell you something. It is Jesus Christ that we're in. We're at Birmingham, but we're in Jesus Christ. They needed to know that there was a higher power. Now you say, how is all of this going to help me? Well, I want to talk to you about that. How I can help you, how this church can help you. A lot of you are new. A lot of you are visiting. Um, it is unbelievable to, me, unbelievable to me the numbers of people God is bringing into this church. Uh, we don't advertise much at all. We're not widely known or anything like that. But it's just stunning to me the people that come through here every week that I really don't know, don't know how they end up here, but they're coming here. So a lot of you are new. Some of you have just joined the church. Some of you are sitting there thinking about joining the church and uh, you wonder, how is this going to help us being in this book? And uh, how is this church going to help you? Uh, I want to give you our five values. I want to give you our five values, and they all come out of the Word of God. Uh, you say, I don't, I don't know what your values are. Well, I want to give them to you right now. Here they are. Here is truth with transformation. Now, if you were here back in November and into December, I was preaching uh, Romans chapter 12, 13, and just into 14, and I pointed everything back uh, to chapter 12, verse 2, where it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That verb right there oversees everything in the last part of Romans. So it's truth with transition. We believe the Word of God, period. It is inerrant. It is infallible. It is the Word of God. It is the only thing that can change your life. Number two, prayer with persistence. We want to be. We strive to be. We're praying that we will be a church that is always a church of great prayer. Relationships with authenticity. We want you to find real people here. I don't put, I don't think I put on any airs. Uh, I'm who I am. Um, I, I, I try to just be me. I really don't know what, what else I can be if I can't be me. So we want you to find everybody here. We want you in a life group where you can build relationships with people who will love you because Jesus Christ loves them. Uh, we want you to have that fellowship. Uh, evangelism with urgency. We believe that God called all of us, go ye therefore,
baptizing them in the name of the Father. And, the Father. and then he comes back in Acts, and what does he say? You shall be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. So he didn't just call me to share Jesus Christ. He called you to share Jesus Christ. And so there's evangelism with urgency. And then there's generosity with joy. Now listen, we're not about buildings here. We're not about parking lots. We're not about numbers. And we're not about money. We are about generosity. Generosity is probably the one thing you can say about God he is a generous God. You're sitting here. You got breath. God gave it to you. You got life this morning. You know, some folks didn't wake up this morning. You've got life this morning. So God gave you life. God's given you everything you've got. And that's what you call generosity. And we want to be just like that. We want to be generous as well. So now those are our values. Let me give you our measures We've got a way that we measure this. Number one, am I spending time with God daily? That is, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So am I spending time with God daily? I've got to daily be in the word of God. I've got to daily be in prayer to the Lord. I've got to spend some part of my day doing that. Number two, am I living what I'm learning? Do you learn anything at this church? Well, are you living it out? I hope, you, I hope more than two people are. I, I really do. I, I hope if you're learning something that you're living it out. Number three, am I sharing Jesus regularly? Do I share Jesus with the people that I come in contact with? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation. To everyone who believes. Now, let's, what did he say? To everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Number four, am I sacrificing for the kingdom? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Am I sacrificing for the kingdom of God? And uh, the last one, number five, am I spiritually investing in others? I love that. Am I spiritually investing? Am I pouring myself into anybody? Is there anybody around me that I kind of have taken under my wing and I am now kind of pouring myself into and talking about the things of God and sharing the things of God, talking about the Word, talking about the way we should live in this kind of world? So that's what I'm hoping to do as we go through Ephesians. But I'm hoping to show you the devotion of God to us and then how we are to be devoted back to Him. Now, what's the blessing? I've looked at the pastor who came as the messenger of the blessing to share with them about the blessing. I've looked at the people that are blessed. Let's go to, ver I've done, listen, I've done verse one, okay? So let's go to verse two. Maybe it will take us nine years to get through this. Verse two comes and listen to what he says. Here are, here is the blessing and it's in two parts. Look at what he says, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I won't spend a great deal of time on that, but this whole concept of grace right here, the best way I know to explain it is God's riches at Christ's expense. It's what you don't deserve. It's what you can't earn. It is what God gives to you freely. His grace. He gives you His grace. He extends His grace to you. 
And as he gives you that, that's what he's talking about in these first three chapters. Chapter 1, verse 6, chapter 1, verse 7, chapter 2, 4 through 5, chapter 3, 2 through 2 and 8. Then he comes and he's going to talk about peace. As you get in, so let me just get in 4, 5, and 6. Let me get you to the end of chapter 6. And let me show you something uh, there. He's, he's coming to talk about spiritual warfare and putting on all of this armor of God that we're to put on. We're going to get to all of this. That's probably going to take a good little while to work our way through this. He's going to talk about that piece of armor that is peace. And he's going to, he's going to tell us at the end of this, he's going to reverse this. He talks about grace and then peace. Where you get to the end of this, in verse 23, he's going to say, peace be to the brethren. Verse 24, grace be with all those who love the Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. It's kind of interesting. Grace and peace, that's the blessing that we get. That encapsulates the blessing of God that is ours. And why? Why? The whole thing is, why do we study this? Why do we go through this? Why is this important? Listen to what he says in chapter 3. He says this, so that you might grow up. That's what he's doing here. He says, so that you might grow up until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to a mature woman, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ until you come out looking like Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying in Romans chapter 8. When he speaks of predestination, we are predestined to become what? Like Jesus Christ. Uh, let me just turn there. Romans chapter 8, when he comes and he says, uh, oh, verse 28, for we know that God causes all things to work together. He doesn't say God causes all things. But he causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to what? To become conformed to the image of his son, so that we, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. So that all the brethren that he's the firstborn of are going to come out looking like their older brother, Jesus Christ. That's what we're predestined for right there. Now you think, well, boy, you have a lot to tell. You ought to know what I'm up here cutting out um, to get through this. So that we grow, chapter 4 of Ephesians, that we grow into maturity. And let me close with this, because I find that Christians don't grow, don't mature. Do you know there are over 30,000 different species of wasp, and they all live in my backyard? Um, I'm not joking to you. I, I was watching Debbie. Debbie was out trimming. Now, listen, I hate yard work. I don't know she's not in the service. So anyway, um, I hate yard work. She loves yard work. So I'll let, her, I'll let her do what she loves. So she was out trimming, and boy, she threw down the hedge trimmer, and she was, I thought she was breakdancing out there. She was going after it, and 
She'd gotten into wasp, into the, one of the plants there, had wasp in it. Um, do you know that when a wasp hatches from that egg, it's the largest it will ever be in its life? It's as big as it's ever going to get when it hatches out. And you know, when you go out and you'll find them and they're, you know, here's one line over here, one line over here, and you get them and they kind of shriveled up and have curled up. They don't live but about a month, 22, 30 at the most, maybe. Now the queen wasp will live for a year, but all the other wasps die in about 30 days or so. Do you know they never grow anymore after they are hatched? They begin to get smaller and smaller, kind of like all of us that age. You know, I used to be, I used to be 6'3". And it's, you know, the older you get, you, you, you begin to get, and then your back is like mine. You can't even stand up straight anymore. You just begin to get, now I want to tell you the tragedy in this. That's the way we are spiritually is that I lead people to Christ and I see people who come to Christ and they're on fire and they've got a passion and they're just absolutely, you know, they're so thrilled, they're so... And then little bit by little bit, they begin to just kind of shrivel up. Bible reading goes, daily prayer goes, you know, life group goes, never in Bible study, not in D group, all of these kind of things. And just the older they get, the smaller, the more shriveled up until they just are gone and they've never grown in the things of God I want better God help me that before he calls me home to help a group of people grow into maturity let's stand thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church to find more or to connect with us about what you just heard Check us out at valleydale.org.